The movie Cinderella Man is based on the true story of a boxer named James Braddock. Braddock was a good boxer who lost his passion and purpose for fighting, so he quit the sport. When the Great Depression hit and his family slid into poverty, Braddock went back to boxing. He made a startling comeback, fighting with passion and focus while upsetting better and younger boxers. At one point in the movie, a stunned reporter asked Braddock, what are you fighting for? Braddock replied, milk. I'm fighting for milk for my children. On June 13th of 1935, in one of the greatest upsets in boxing history, Braddock defeats the seemingly invincible Bauer to overcome and become the heavyweight champion of the world. When we have something worth fighting for, then it motivates us to go to great lengths to achieve it. On this Palm Sunday, more than one year into the COVID pandemic, many of us perhaps have lost focus on why we have to fight so hard to live Christ-like lives in this world in which we live. Many may be disillusioned with finding hope for an end to this pandemic due to government inefficiencies or the unfairness of rich countries versus third world countries as it relates to vaccine availabilities. Or we're sad to see people who seemingly take advantage of others during a time when so many are suffering and wonder why there is so much evil in this world, and so we lose heart. But we are reminded through Jesus' last week here on earth that there are some things worth fighting for, albeit Jesus had an unconventional way of quote-unquote fighting. What do I mean by this? Let's study John's account of Jesus' trial before Pontius Pilate to draw out three things that Jesus thought were things worth fighting for, so that perhaps you can see that there are things worth fighting for in your life as well. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 18, as we take a look at verses 28 to chapter 19, verse 16. John chapter 18, we begin in verse 28. Verse 28 to 29 reads this, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? After Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was made to go through six trials, three religious and three civil. The religious leaders didn't have the power to enact the death penalty, so they brought Jesus to the civil Roman authorities for trial. Now, the occupying Romans had a very uneasy relationship with the Jews in the land of Palestine. The Romans didn't care much about Jesus' ministry or the religious leaders' rejection of Jesus as long as there was peace and order. The Romans simply wanted to maintain peace in their sprawling empire, and the governor, Pontius Pilate, was tasked to keep the peace in the restive land of the province of Judea. When they brought Jesus to Pilate, Pilate naturally asked them, what was the charge against Jesus? Look how they answered in verse 30. They answered and said to him, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. The religious leaders could not provide any concrete charge against Jesus. They simply told Pilate, Jesus is guilty, or we would not have brought him over to you without telling Pilate the actual crimes of Jesus that he supposedly committed. 
Remember, the religious leaders were furious that Jesus claimed to be the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world, and claimed to be God Himself, which they considered as blasphemy. Look at verses 31 to 32. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Since they wouldn't tell Pilate the charge against Jesus, Pilate said, You deal with it according to your own laws. But they responded that they were not allowed to exact the death penalty and to kill Jesus implying that all they wanted to do was for Pilate to simply take them at their word and kill Jesus. Now, Jesus already knew he was going to die for the sins of the entire world. He had told his followers that he would die and would rise from the dead in three days. He knew that his death would come by crucifixion because this is how the Romans usually carried out the death penalty for non-Roman citizens guilty of a crime. Here, everyone has a choice if they wanted to have a part in this act of injustice to kill the innocent, sinless Son of God. And here, Pilate has a choice. Look at verses 33 to 35. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you to me. What have you done? Here, Pilate has a private meeting with Jesus to personally ascertain his guilt or innocence. Pilate asks Jesus if he claimed to be the king of the Jews. Jesus' reply indicates he wanted to know if Pilate had already made up his mind about his guilt or innocence. Is Pilate genuinely asking or did someone already get to him? Pilate's reply was, you know, I really don't care if you claim to be the king of the Jews. I'm not Jewish. But it was your own people that seem to have rejected your claims and have turned you over to me. So what did you do, Pilate asked Jesus. You see, Pilate wanted to see if Jesus would be a political or civil liability in advocating for the overthrow of the Roman government. That is really what Pilate cared about. Notice Jesus' answer in verse 36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Jesus' reply showed that it didn't really matter what the religious leaders had done because his kingdom was not of this world. Jesus is not fighting for ownership and rulership of this sinful world. He is fighting to save the souls of the men and women who live in this world in order to give them eternal life. In fact, Jesus told Pilate, if I was fighting for a position in this world, then I would have told all of my followers to fight for me, to protect me from being handed over to the religious Jewish leaders and ultimately to be handed over to you, Pilate my followers would have caused an insurrection. They would have come to my aid. And the lack of any major Jewish uprisings or battles during this time should have indicated to Pilate that there was truth to what Jesus was saying. 
Jesus' words in his trial indicates that Jesus is fighting for a bigger purpose, a bigger cause. It was a spiritual purpose which Jesus was fighting for. And his fight was seen in his submission to his Father's will, even if it meant his death. Now let me stop here and say that people fight for different causes in their life. But they should ask if the cause that they are fighting for is really something worth fighting for. The religious leaders were fighting simply to get rid of Jesus and to maintain their status quo as the authority in all religious matters of the Jewish community. They wanted the power and the prestige and even the possessions that would come from being at the top of the religious hierarchy of the Jewish community. That is what they were fighting for. Pilate, as we will see in a bit, is also fighting to keep his political position, fighting for power, for prestige, and for the money that comes with his position. But in contrast, Jesus is fighting to save the souls of mankind for the salvation of the world through the loss of his own life. All three are not fighting for the same thing. Which of these three are fighting for something worthwhile? Power, prestige, possessions? Are these the things that we fight for? Are these the things that are worth fighting for? You see, our Lord's own words and example reminds us that, number one, we should fight for a spiritual purpose or cause. To fight for a spiritual purpose or cause. This is what is worth fighting for. You know, there's a view today that tries to make Jesus into a radical, a counterculture revolutionary who desired reform in the corrupt society, and that we should follow his example by advocating for radical change. Now, while Jesus' teachings were certainly revolutionary, as it spoke about the need for inward righteousness through faith in him and other principles about servanthood, Jesus was not a social justice radical trying to upend the corrupt Jewish and Roman ways. He says it right here, I'm not fighting for the overthrow of the government. Because if I were, I would have gotten my followers to fight on my behalf. Sure, Jesus' teachings have very real and practical implications for our lives to affect change in this world in order to bring and spread the gospel message. But Jesus' teaching emphasizes the life after this, eternal life with Him, the greater spiritual cause to save souls. Sure, there were problems with the Jewish system and the Roman system in which He lived. But Jesus was fighting more important causes to win eternal salvation for all. Now let me just say that God does want justice for all. And we should speak up and stand up for what is right and advocate on behalf of the oppressed and the downtrodden, including opposing racism and hate. But we should also remember that this is a sinful world where the permanent solution to these problems is not in our social justice advocacies but where the solution is found in Jesus and in His gift of salvation that entitles us to be a part of His future kingdom when we place our trust in Him. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do anything. There are many responsibilities we are to carry out as followers of Jesus Christ in this world, but we should know the limitations of our efforts before the Lord returns. The point of all this is the reminder that there is something greater to fight for and we should be aware of this fact so that we can know where to pick our battles and where we spend our time and resources just like Jesus did in His earthly ministry. 
Jesus had no interest in the petty human fighting for politics, prestige, possessions, and positions. He was fighting for the salvation of all people, and that should be our fight focus as well. How many of us are willing to let go of our fight for position, prestige, possessions, and power because we know of the bigger fight that we have to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to a dying people and a lost world? Look at verse 37 with me. Pilate therefore said to Jesus, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate pressed Jesus on his question if Jesus is the king of the Jews, and Jesus replies that he is indeed a king, and as such he has a responsibility to speak the truth and take the consequences that come with it. Now what is this truth? It is about Jesus being God himself and that he would have to die for the sins of the world and that if people believed in him, they would have eternal life. Jesus told Pilate, although Pilate probably didn't fully understand what Jesus was saying, that he as the divine God took on incarnate form, became human in order to die so that he could fulfill this purpose. This was the truth that Jesus was talking about. And it is this truth of salvation that Jesus bears witness to when he came to earth. This is the truth worth fighting for. This is the truth worth dying for. And those who know this truth will understand Jesus. You see, in the words of Jesus, we see another thing that's worth fighting for, and it is this, number two. Fight for a truth worth dying for. Fight for a truth worth dying for. We are a generation, young and old, that likes to fight for what we perceive to be truth. And with social media, this fight gets intense. People will fight even to the point of breaking off relationships and friendships. For example, in the debate over a flat earth versus a round earth. They will fight for who is the GOAT in basketball, the greatest of all time, LeBron or Jordan. It's Jordan. They will debate which is the better movie, Zack Snyder's Cut of Justice League or Josh Whedon's Cut of Justice League. There is a raging debate on which is the best city in the world. Is it New York or Paris or London or Tokyo? Or a fight over which cuisine is better, Chinese or French? And now the argument over which COVID vaccine is better. Friendships and family relationships have been broken over these fights. But the question is, are these so-called truths really worth fighting for? Because they beg the question, are they truths worth dying for? My friends, there is only one truth worth dying for, and that is the truth of the salvation we have in Jesus. And that is what Jesus tells Pilate, I am a king who has a purpose to reveal the truth about everlasting eternal life through my death. And Jesus exemplifies that the good news of salvation through him is a truth worth dying for by dying himself. Because what is at stake is not your opinion on a basketball star, your opinion on a movie or about food. What is at stake is the eternal lives and destiny of mankind. 
The apostles in the early church clearly understood this. This is why they were willing to die horrible deaths in martyrdom to propagate this truth. Great reformers like John Huss and William Tyndale also understood this truth, defending the Bible and its teachings on salvation through justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, all the way to being burned at the stake. The salvation we have through Jesus is a truth worth dying for. In contrast to Jesus' words and actions, look at the actions of Pilate, whose inability to fight for what is really truth typifies so many today, including many Christians. Look at verse 38. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Here, Pilate throws out a philosophical, rhetorical question that seems to say, whatever you believe in to be true, that's truth for you. So if you, Jesus, want to believe you're a king and on a mission to get people to believe you, so be it. But as long as you haven't tried to incite insurrection and destroy the Roman peace, you don't deserve to be put to death. So Pilate goes out to the Jewish leaders and declares to them that in his private trial of Jesus, he finds no fault in him. He is making a declaration of truth, and that truth is that Jesus is not guilty and not deserving of death. At this point, we want to applaud Pilate for coming to the right conclusion, and the proper response would be for him to free an innocent man. But look what happens, verses 39 to 40. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. For one who knows the truth, but has to ask the crowd who they prefer to be released, an innocent man or a guilty man, shows a man who is not willing to do what is right for the sake of truth a man who is not willing to fight for the convictions of his heart. What a contrast to Jesus, who is willing to die for truth. But Pilate is like so many of us. He knew the truth, but wanted to be liked, so he must play to the crowds, and we do the same. Imagine asking the crowd their opinion on what is truth when you know it. It is as if truth is ascertained through popularity. And so we ask others, is this a good movie? Is this a good show? Is it worth watching? Is this food good? The truth lies in the opinions of the majority. This is why we have sites like Rotten Tomato or Yelp or Zomato. We want truth based on the majority opinion. But if you go by the standard of truth, you and I will miss out. You know, there are foods that I enjoy that are greatly disliked by many, like the Scottish haggis, or movies I thought were great but got terrible reviews. This is a generation, young and old, that sadly decides on truth based on popularity, even if the actual facts present another picture. And that's why in the U.S. there is even a fight over the wearing of masks as a preventative measure to slow down the spread of this virus in this pandemic. Because in some parts of the U.S., the truth regarding masks 
is subjective and not based on science. It is the same with the truth of the Scriptures and what it says about Jesus. For many in our generation, it will only become truth if the majority believes it. But yet the Bible tells us that the gospel will never be widely accepted. It will never be accepted in the mainstream. In fact, the gospel message will be offensive to the world. Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who follow it. My friends, are you willing to take the unpopular, less traveled road, the narrow road? Are you willing to fight for the truth, even if it's the minority position? Are you willing to fight for the truth that is worth dying for? The Bible reminds us that the gospel message will not be accepted by the majority of the world. And if your truth is based on majority opinion, then you would have fallen into Satan's deception. Remember, we fight for a truth that is worth dying for. Look with me now at chapter 19 as I read from verses 1 to 5. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. If you find no fault in a man, and he is innocent, then there is a moral responsibility to release him. But that is not what Pilate does. The religious leaders had chosen Barabbas to be released. And so Pilate has Jesus humiliated, beaten, and mocked by his Roman soldiers. Then Pilate announces to the Jewish leaders that he is now bringing out Jesus to show them what he has done and hoping to release him as he thinks that Jesus is an innocent man. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verse 16, tells us that Pilate thought that by beating Jesus up and mocking him, it was a compromising action that he could then release this innocent man. So mockingly, they brought out Jesus wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate says, behold the man. And here's the man, Jesus, who is portrayed as someone who is really humiliated. He didn't declare him as king of the Jews, just simply a man. A man who doesn't seem to have any power a man who's been beaten, humiliated, bleeding from his head from the crown of thorns and bleeding from the scourging and the lashes on his back. Perhaps Pilate thought that if he presented a humiliated man, a humiliated Jesus, then the crowd would be satisfied. But look at the crowd's reaction, verses 6 to 8. Therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, you take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the son of God. 
Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. The hatred of the religious leaders against Jesus was intense. They shouted, crucify him, kill him. And Pilate declares Jesus is innocent a third time and tells the Jews, if you want to crucify him and kill him, you do it. But they didn't have the authority, and Pilate knew that. These leaders said that Jesus should die because he claimed to be the Son of God, meaning of the same essence as God, claiming to be God himself and therefore should die. It was blasphemous to them. And here the Bible tells us that Pilate was more afraid. Now, Pilate was not more afraid of the crowd, but now he was more afraid that Jesus, whom he knew to be innocent, had claimed to be God himself. And perhaps Pilate thought that there's a slight chance that Jesus was. You see, we have to understand a bit of Roman thinking. The Romans believed in many false gods with stories of them coming down to earth looking like men and then interacting with men and judging them based on their actions. And who knew if this person, Jesus, could be a god or a demigod? Jesus was so calm, so silent under such terrible treatment. Perhaps in the mind of Pilate, only a god could undergo something like this and still remain so majestic and so calm. Also, what contributed to this growing fear was that in the gospel account in Matthew chapter 27, Pilate's wife warned him about Jesus. I read from Matthew 27 verses 17 to 19. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Pilate's wife declares Jesus as just. Pilate knew Jesus was innocent, knew that the Jewish leaders had no real legitimate charge against Jesus. They only handed him over because of envy. And his wife had warned him not to do anything to this just man because of a dream that he had. Here is a man conflicted because he didn't do what was right at the very beginning. He kept trying to appease those who were clearly in the wrong with a mediated position and kept digging himself into a deeper hole. You see, truth is truth. And one should never compromise truth with the mediated truth. When truth is partial, there is no truth at all. Look at verse 9 of chapter 19 of the Gospel of John. And went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and the power to release you? Pilate is still disturbed that he would put to death an innocent man, perhaps one who is divine, when he asks Jesus where he is from. Don't think that Pilate was trying to free Jesus. Pilate was trying to size up Jesus to see if Jesus is someone he can oppose. Let me give you an example of what I mean by this. When someone says, don't mess with me, I know someone who knows the president. You ask the question, how does your friend know the president? 
You want to know the connection to the president to see if this is someone you want to offend or cross, or perhaps not. Is the person that you know the president's spouse or the president's butler? Here, Jesus doesn't reply. There was no need as Jesus already knew what was going to happen. Pilate had shown himself to be a man who didn't have a backbone, who wouldn't act on his convictions. In verse 9, Pilate goes on a power trip telling Jesus that he should not refuse to answer him, the one who had the power to release him or put him to death. It is ironic because if he had the power to release him and declared to the crowd three times that Jesus is innocent, why hasn't Pilate already released him? Look at Jesus' response in verse 11. Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Jesus says that Pilate really doesn't have authority, that his position and his power is because God has given it to him. And Pilate knows this to be true because the politics of Rome were such that things quickly changed based on who you knew. Who was the emperor at that time? Who was in the Senate? How connected were you with the people in the Senate, with the emperor? Pilate realizes that there was something special about Jesus to speak the way that he did. He wasn't afraid of Pilate and his authority. And the only reason someone is not afraid is because you answer to a higher authority. And if Jesus submitted to a higher authority, then Pilate could be in real trouble because of whom Jesus may know, perhaps God himself, someone who is more powerful than the Roman Caesar. Look what happens in verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. You know, Pilate wanted to release Jesus. But the Jewish leaders knew that Pilate could be manipulated and seems to suggest that Pilate's loyalty to the Roman Caesar could and would be questioned if he did not kill Jesus, who claimed to be the king of the Jews. They were playing the very same power game with Pilate, the very game that Pilate had tried to play with Jesus. Don't you know who we know? Don't you know who I know? Everyone is claiming to want to know the person and the highest authority in order to succeed in this power play. Jesus doesn't have to play this game because he is the Son of God, God himself, who is the highest in authority. Pilate should have asked himself, do I want to be Caesar's friend or do I want to be God's friend? That is the same question we should ask ourselves. Whose friend do you want to be? The world's friend or God's friend? You see, my friends, we should fight to be on the side of the one who is on top of the authority ladder. The one who has all authority in heaven and in earth. Jesus' own words in Matthew 28, verse 18, as the resurrected Son of God, God Himself, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. When we fight for the things of this life, make sure, number three, that you fight for the one 
who has all authority. Fight for the one who has all authority. If you proclaim that God is the sovereign God who sits on the heavenly throne, then there should be no doubt whom you live this life for, whom you fight for, whose friend you want to be. You don't just know a person who knows the president. You know personally the very king of the universe. So what you have to be afraid of when you engage this world. Look at verses 13 to 16. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat him in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now there was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. Then they took Jesus and led him away. Ironically, Pilate chose the fear of Caesar over the fear of the living God, declaring Jesus innocent multiple times and knowing it to be true. Pilate did not fight for what he should have fought for and at the judgment seat called Gabbatha rendered his final verdict, Jesus would be crucified. You know, it may seem so unfair and unjust what has transpired, and it was. And looking from a human perspective, it seems that Jesus has lost. But you know, in this power game, God still won and shows himself to be supremely in charge and in full control because the evil plans of man cannot thwart God's sovereign plan. Jesus would die as was part of God's plan so that the world can be saved. You know, some would argue that Pilate had no choice. It was part of God's plan. But Pilate did have a choice. He did not have to be complicit in the Jewish religious leader's evil plans. If he did not render the guilty verdict, there would have still been others who killed Jesus. But by condemning an innocent man to die by crucifixion, now Pilate was culpable. He was complicit in this act. Whatever the case, when you go up against the one who has all authority, you will always lose. History tells us that Pontius Pilate was recalled back to Rome because of mismanagement in AD 36, three years after the death of Christ. And he was never heard again in history. Pilate would lose the position he had worked so hard to keep. Jesus' words in verse 11 ring true. You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. The point is that God is in full control and has all authority the very person of who he is and the causes that he tells us to live out are indeed worth fighting for because he gives it as one who has all authority. What a contrast. The religious leaders who were clearly in the wrong with Jesus who was clearly innocent and a pilot who could not decide on the right thing to do. In many ways, we are just like Pilate, knowing the truth but not bold enough 
or convicted enough to do what is right, even when we have been given authority to engage the world by the Lord. My friends, we have the power as children of the mighty King to stand firm against the darkness of this world. But do we do it? I pray as we start the Holy Week that we begin to ponder what it is in this life we really fight for. Perhaps you will fight for your marriage, your children, your finances, your job, your promotion, your health. But like Jesus, can you place at the top of the list that which you fight for, to fight for a spiritual purpose or cause, to fight for a truth worth dying for, to fight for the one who has all authority on heaven and on earth. I hope you will fight for Jesus Christ and His words, and that you will fight for the good news of salvation through Him with eternal life for the world in such a way that you live with purpose. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for giving us the Scriptures, which remind us that many times we are fighting for the wrong things. And when we fight for ourselves and our own entitlement, we do get distressed with this life. Help us to redirect our focus, to live with purpose, to fight for a spiritual cause, a spiritual purpose, which is for the salvation of souls, to fight for a truth worth dying for, which is the gospel message, to fight for the one who has all authority, which is to have you as our friend. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we begin this holy week, that you would challenge the men and women who are listening to begin a process of self-reflection and to examine what it is in this life that they find worth fighting for. May it be about you, Lord, and your causes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.